you uh, please remain standing for the reading of God's word? I will be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer un under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Pray with me. Father, you know everything, and so you know every situation and circumstance sitting in this room, certainly better than anybody else does in this room, so we trust that you would work accordingly, and God, that you would speak to us um, as a community of faith, and you would speak to us as individuals as well. Um, God, right now... <coughs> As we get into the scriptures, I pray that um, you would teach us, and I ask you personally, um, because all gifts are yours for the gift of teaching and the gift of preaching, that we may remain in you and therefore bear much fruit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, grab a Bible. We encourage you to bring a Bible every single week. If you don't have one, if you're one of those rare, rare people who don't have one, because most of you guys have like 16 of them sitting at home. Um, that you don't open. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. All you got to do is ask, and we'll make sure you get a copy of the scriptures in your hands. But whether it's electronic or hard copy, do it. We love hard copy um, for people to have hard copy Bibles in their hands because it actually teaches you to navigate the Bible. As you hear the word preached every week and you are turning pages, it can really help you uh, um, learn how the Bible's ultimately put together. And the Bible um, is a big thing for us as Christians. If you didn't know that, that's a big deal. And it's testified to in the history of the church. There's a guy named Martin Luther who was the guy that kind of began the catalyst to the Protestant Reformation. He didn't know he was doing that, but he did based upon his calling the church back to biblical fidelity. What that means is just go back. The Bible actually really matters. He has this great quote that I came across this week that I think is a great place for us to start ourselves off as we open up our Bibles. Luther says this, for the Holy Scripture, that's the Bible, is the garment which our Lord Christ has put on in which he lets himself be seen and found. So let me paint the picture. He says, Luther's saying, the Bible is the clothing that Jesus Christ himself has put on so that we might see him and find him. And then he says this, this garment, this clothing, is woven throughout and so wrought together, it's so tightly on him, is so wrought together into one that it cannot be cut or parted. Here's what Luther's saying. The Bible and Jesus are inseparable. You want to know Christ? Open the Bible. 
You want to know Christ, open the Bible. If you open the Bible and you're opening it correctly, you're going to see Christ. So that's where we're at. Galatians um, chapter 2, which was um, the book of Galatians, was actually one of Luther's favorite books. So we're not in Galatians chapter 2. I was wrong. We're in Galatians chapter 3. And just so you know, also inside your bulletin is the whole section uh, that we're going to be looking at today. The, the, the text that is assigned this week is Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10 through verse 29. Now, if you read this, you'd go, that's insanity to try to preach that whole thing. I agree with you. I didn't put this together. I agree with you. So therefore, we're going to look very specifically at verses 23 through 29. And in looking at those verses, go back to the previous uh, verses and, and draw out uh, some meaning in this passage. Galatians chapter 3, starting <clears throat> in verse uh, 23. I, I want you to think about this. I'm curious, and I'm certain many of you, if you've driven before, have had this happen to you. But you know the moments when you are on your way to work or on your way to an appointment, and then all of a sudden you're on the highway or on that street, and bam, unexpected traffic kind of almost hits you in the face. And you know there's somewhere to be, and you're looking at your watch going, what is going on? And all of a sudden it gets to that standstill, and let's be honest, you're angry, right? You're bothered by this, you're frustrated, you're wondering what's happening. Is it road construction? Why would they do road construction in the middle of the week? And then, you know, when you're on your way to the Cardinals game, why would they do it on the weekend? Because they have to do it sometime, right? So, but, but then it's like, is it road construction? Is it an accident? What am I going to see? So imagine you hit that moment, you start creeping forward, and all of a sudden you see that a huge truck had been turned over in the middle of the road, and they needed to get cranes from the outside to pull this truck off of the road. That is a metaphor of what Paul's about to address in this section of the book of Galatians, is that there was a plan for the people of God, the nation of Israel, Jews, and they were supposed to do something, and, and they pursued, and when they came up against the law, which was their commandments to live under the kingship of God, when they hit the law, the truck turned over, fell in the middle of the road, and it was now not only catastrophic to them, but simultaneously was blocking the way of what God's original intention for Israel really was. Now, you're going to go, well, what was God's original intention for Israel? So, this is important to do a lot of times when you're studying the Bible, is to put it in context of the book, but then a lot of times put the book in the context of the wider biblical story. So, let me do it really briefly. If you're here and you know nothing about the Bible, I hope this moment could be somewhat enlightening to you. At least you would go, okay, I kind of understand the biblical storyline. But here's how the Bible begins, is that in the beginning there was a God whose Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who had existed for all of eternity, and out of his desire to create and to extend his beauty, he creates the world in perfect harmony, in all of its beauty, full of lushness and life. He makes the world, and then the pinnacle of his creation, he makes human beings, male and female. He created them in his very image, the only thing in all of creation that was made after the likeness of God and in his very image was human beings. He tells them, have a blast, be fruitful and multiply, rule and subdue the earth. I have a huge charge for you. Go do it. 
the only thing he tells them not to do is to eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, don't eat from it because he's trying to establish authority. I am still your authority and you're under me. Now, there's an, in, an intruder that comes in. The enemy comes in who the Bible would portray as the devil or as Satan. And he begins to feed lies to the pinnacle of God's creation, to male and female. And they buy the lies do no longer sit under the authority of God and disobey God and do the very thing he said not to do. The Bible then says that's when darkness, sin, death, horror, anguish, insecurity, all the bad things that you and I would live in, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, the things that you look at the world and go, it's not supposed to be like that. All of that came into the world, the Bible says, because of one man's disobedience, Adam and Eve's sin, all of the bad things in the world come in, and that's why we look at the world and we go, it's not the way it's supposed to be is because the Bible says it's sin. At that moment, <clears throat> God looks at the enemy and says, you're not going to win. You're not going to build a world, the world I created, and turn it into a world of lies that you are seeking to kill and destroy. You're not going to win. And he says, in fact, I'm going to triumph over you, and I'll crush your head. I'll crush lies. I'll crush you. I'll crush death. I'll crush it all. And the way God sets out his plan to bring blessing to the nations is he starts with one man. This man's key in the book of Galatians. His name's Abraham. And he calls this man who was not currently a God-fearing man. He didn't worship the one true God. He worshiped a bunch of false gods. God calls him out of it and says to him, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And through you... All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, if you want to understand the Bible correctly, that blessing that he's speaking to Abraham is a blessing of salvation. That you have fallen under slavery and sin, right? And I'm going to save you from the darkness of this world. So through you, all the nations of the blessed will be blessed. The blessing of salvation will flow to all. Now, through that man, Abraham, comes a nation Israel and God says to this nation, hey Israel, you are going to be a light to the nations. You are going to live in such a way that they would see what God is really like, how beautiful he is, how he's a liberator, how he's a savior, how life is meant to function under him and his glory and his beauty. That's what you're meant to do, but you exist to reflect it to the world. Now, he then says, here's a rule of law that you are supposed to live under. That's the law as you read the Bible. Here's this law that you're supposed to live under. Now, here's the challenge that happened to Israel. Israel began to interpret that law as a means to salvation, which God never intended to happen. They began to view it as a means to salvation, and so they went after it, trying to perform, and they went up trying to perform, and every time they tried to perform this, the, the whole cart got tipped over, right? The truck, if you will, got broken down, fell in the middle, and they started going, what is going on? And they're trying, they're on this performance treadmill, trying to live up to it, but they can't. So here's the two things they got wrong. They viewed the law as a means to the blessing, a means to salvation, and then simultaneously, they got very narrow focus, and they thought God chose us because we're great. We obey this law. And they forgot, no, actually God chose you so that you would reflect something that the whole world would finally get. That the channel of blessing would actually flow to all peoples everywhere. 
So what Paul begins to address in this passage, if you look at verse um, 14, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might now actually flow to the Gentiles, that's to the entire world, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So remember that illustration. The car in this passage, the truck that's blocking the way to blessing going to the whole world is being lifted off, and then he's trying to tell them, Israel, what the problem is <coughs> and what they fundamentally got wrong. So on that note, let's look at verse 23. Paul says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be re revealed. Now, just hear those words for a minute. The law, we're going to get into what this is in a minute, what it is and what it isn't, but look at the words. We were held captive. Is that phrase a, do you want that? Is it a positive thing or a negative thing? Probably, I, I don't really like being held captive. You're held captive under the law and you're imprisoned until something else happens. Now, we're going to get in right away what Paul's issue is with this Galatian church is that there were a group of people who said, yes, Jesus is essential, but we also need the law. And Paul begins to go, you're totally misunderstanding what the purpose of the law was. And in fact, if you believe that at the core level, that's a false gospel and will lead you to hell. Because the true gospel is about a promise it's founded in faith, not in performance. So Paul sets out right now and he says, the battle that we're about to look at in this passage today, if you're looking at a poster of a boxing match or of a UFC fight, and there's two guys like this, one on this side, one on this side, and in the middle it says verses, one of them's performance, the other one's promise. So this is a battle between performance and promise, and what Paul's going to look at today, here's what he's going to say to start off with. Performance is not of faith, number one. Number two, that promise, the promise is of faith. And then the last thing he's going to say is that faith is the great unifier. So performance is not of faith. The promise is of faith, and faith is the great unifier. Now, one little historical thing. These people were believing a false gospel, and in the end, what it did is divide. A Jewish church on one side a Gentile church on the other. Here's the kosher people, here's the non-kosher people. And Paul goes, this is an indicator that you're believing something wrongly because faith is the great unifier. That's the context, the battle between performance and promise. Let's start off here. Performance is not of faith. Now he speaks about the law here in verse 23. We were held captive under the law. What was the intention of the law? Well, the law in its very intention was to be a revealer and a director, okay? It was supposed to reveal something true and then direct you to what was ultimately true and what would ultimately bring blessing and life. That's why he says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The law had a positive purpose of revealing our need, of revealing our need and pointing the way unto this blessing, which was salvation. Though, so that's the positive, it had a positive purpose, to reveal our need and point us to the way of salvation, the way of blessing. It was never intended to be a means that you put your faith in or a means that if you did this, you would find salvation. It was never intended to be like that. 
my wife and I have now been married about 10 years, and when you get married, it takes a little bit to get there, but you finally get to a point where you can laugh at each other's families, right? You can kind of start laughing at the weird things they do and whatever. My, my wife now is, is literally probably on her best friend list, because she's got like three best friends, is my mother, which is an amazing blessing and gift. But now my wife can really laugh at the stories my mom tells about my dad, and they've been married a long time. My dad's like 57 years old, and a few years ago, my mom told ha my wife Haley the story about my dad. Now, a 57-year-old, this is not unique if you didn't know this, but if you've ever heard many 57-year-olds sleep, it's like my dad, meaning you just look at my mom and go, how do you actually fall asleep? There's so much noise. Like, the snoring is so loud. He's restless. He's moving all over the place. And she goes, well, when, you, when you've been married this long, you just sleep through it. You know, it's like a sound machine to you. You know, it's like raindrops or the ocean or <laughs> the African birds, right? You just, you just fall asleep. But she told this story that one night there was a sound that came into her room that really woke her up. And the sound was, boom, ugh. And then he goes, oh, my God. So my mom opens her eyes, and she looks over, and this 54-year-old man had fallen off the bed. <laughs> okay? Dad, I apologize if you're listening to this message. <laughs> he had fallen off the bed, and my mom's looking at him. Now, imagine my mom in that moment goes, Mark, you know what we need? We need bed railings <laughs> so that you can stay in the bed. Now, why would you laugh? Why? Why would that be ridiculous? Because bed railings are good for a 4-year-old, <laughs> not a 54-year-old, Right? But bed railings are, there's a provision to them, right? They provide something. They provide the ability for a young child to sleep on the bed without falling off. But they're preliminary. If you still have bed railings at 54, there's a problem, <laughs> right? That's, that's fundamentally a problem. That's what Paul's saying to Israel. The law had a provisionary reality. It provided for something, but it never was intended to stay there. It never was meant to be the means unto the utmost goal of blessing coming to the nations, salvation coming there. So let's look at this. Here's the first thing you need to know about the law as we get into this. From verses 10 through 12, what we see is the law cannot bring blessing. It only brings a curse. Look at verse 10. For all who put themselves under the law, for all who rely on works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, here's what he's saying. Now, just to start off, to get you guys all on the same page, you get to choose, right? There's two buckets up here covered up. You get to pull the top off one of them and get what's inside. One is labeled blessing. The other one is labeled curse. Where do you go? not very hard. This is not a trick question. You, people want to be blessed. They don't want to be cursed. But here Paul says, hey, all of you who are trying to obey the law, if you put yourself under the law, you're cursed. You're cursed. And then he says, because there's a reason for it. And he quotes the Old Testament. Because cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. The New Testament says it like this, that if you break one law, you break them all. The Old Testament's saying it like this, if you don't live up to them all, you don't live up to the law. Now, if you're sitting in this room and you're going, well, I'm not Jewish, 
I was never given the Mosaic law. Or maybe you're in this room and you go, I'm not even a Christian. You even agree with this. And it's why there's a cliche statement. All cliche statements are cliches for a reason, right? Because they're true. Here's the cliche. Nobody's perfect, right? Well, here's what Israel forgot, or many of them did, is they're coming up trying to obey this law that's supposed to lead them to holiness and perfection, and they keep trying, and it says, cursed are you if you can't live up to the entirety of the law. So put yourself under that. You want to live up under this standard? Go for it. You're going to be cursed. Because nobody's perfect. Now, what's amazing, Paul, in another letter to the book of Romans, says this. Because, again, you're going, this is coming from this outside law, the law of Moses. But Paul says in the book of Romans that no human being can even live up to their own standards. No human being even lives up to their own conscience. So if you're going, Mosaic law, this has nothing to do with me. Well, let's talk in your neighborhood for a minute. All of you set standards for yourself that you try and try and try to accomplish and yet don't live up to them. It's the very thing that drives you crazy. Many of you, it's the thing that makes you so deeply insecure that you can't, some of you, it's I can't live up to my father's expectations or my mother's expectations. But for a whole nother level of us, it's just the fact that you're drive, go, going nuts because you can't live up to your own expectations. I played baseball in college and I remember my coach sat me down one day. My, my dad was a longtime baseball coach. My college coach was not my father. And my college coach looked at me and he said, are you playing for your dad? And I looked him straight in the face and I said, let me, let me tell you something. My dad told me since I was this tall, you don't ever have to play this game for me. I don't, ca I don't care. Like, you can do whatever you want. And I looked at him and I go, no, I'm not playing this game for my dad. And what came out of me at that moment was I'm playing it for myself. Like, I'm not living up to my own expectations of how I should be playing. And that's the way we live our lives, right? So much of us are going, gosh, there's all these things I shouldn't be doing that I'm doing. And then there's this whole host of things that I should be doing that I'm not doing. I'm not getting to it. And we don't even live up to our own standards. And yet we keep going after it, perform, live up to it, live up to it. And it creates this treadmill of performance. Remember performance versus promise. Perform, perform, perform. And we're going, oh. Now, I want to tell you, you're not that different from Israel because Israel went, they tried to perform, the cart got upturned, they failed. They tried again, the cart upturned, and they got failed. They failed. And then they went, pull up our bootstraps. Let's do it again. We're great because we have the law. Obey the law. And Paul says, you put yourself under the law. You put yourself on the treadmill of performance. You will be cursed. So what is the purpose of this law? Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, hear this, okay? You're going to look at that verse and you're going to go, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. And you're going to go, okay, it was added because of sin. That's not what this passage is saying, okay? It's not saying it was added because of sin. It was saying that it's added to reveal sin. There's a um, area of medicine under radiology, and it's called nuclear medicine. And here's what happens in nuclear medicine is you go in, 
they sense that you might have something. Let's say it's cancer. And you'll walk in to the Newfoundland offices and they have a dye that they shoot into your body. And they shoot that into your body, right? They don't shoot it in because of cancer. They shoot it in to manifest if something is there. So they put it in your body and then they take the x-ray and if there's cancer there, it manifests it. So here in the law, we see this from the book of Romans and from this section, is that the law is not contrary to the promises of God and the law has a purpose. It wasn't given because of sin, but it was given to manifest, like nuclear medicine, like the dye, that it would bring about the reality, there's a problem. It brings it about. Think about like swelling. Your ankle begins to swell because it says, there's a problem here. The law was given to manifest sin. There's a famous theologian named Herman Ritterboss, and he says this, speaking from actually Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5. He says this, you might think that what he's saying here is it was added because of sin. He says, but the law was given, so to speak, to call forth transgression. To call forth, that's sin. And to make them manifest like the die this is to say more than that by means of the law sin should be acknowledged it's more than just that it's acknowledged as transgression and in its proper and terrible character it is to say also that by the means of the law sin should come out into the open and multiply itself so hear this the law was given one of the intentions of the law was to say there's a problem here like swelling but at the same time, it was to see sin multiply, right? That things you didn't even before know were sin, you go, are now sin. So that's why Jesus, when Jesus comes on the scene, and you have heard it said, do not murder. But he says, let me take it even deeper. If you have hated a brother or sister in your heart, you've committed murder already. Now the law that Paul begins to speak of. He speaks of in Romans 7, and he says this, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For how would I have known about coveting if the law didn't say, don't covet? I mean, it's pretty simple logic. How would I have ever known that was coveting unless somebody told me it was wrong? The purpose of the law is that you would go, wow, I'm not supposed to covet. Why do I continue to covet? And then you'd go, there's a deeper problem. I'm a sinner. Right? Now, here's what Israel was doing. They were trying to do these things, and they would do them. And say they accomplish it. They obey that law, and they obey that law, and they obey that law. And they get 10 obeys, right? Like 10 gold stickers. Gold star for Israel. But then this little part of the law they mess up on. And then the law comes over them and goes, if you fail at one of them, you fail at all of them. And every sticker, foom, 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 rips. And then they go, but we got to do it again. And Paul's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the point of the law. The law doesn't bring about the blessing. The law is a revealer. To reveal what? Your need, hear this now. The law is to reveal and bring people to the recognition of their need for grace. 
Now, grace, oftentimes in churches, and rightfully so, is defined as unmerited favor, something you didn't deserve. But let's, for now, speak of it like this. It means you need outside help, like help from the outside. You can't do it yourself. You've been on this performance treadmill, and you keep butting up against it, keep butting up against it, and you're like, I can't do it. So this is where Psalm 121, there's the psalmist, the songwriter, who starts off the song of Psalm 121, and he says this, lift up your eyes to the hills and say, for where does my help come from? Now imagine, you've had many moments where you're on this performance treadmill and you just can't fix it. You can't fix it. You're after it, you fail. You're after it, you fail. You're after it, you fail. And there's a moment in there where if it goes deep enough, you go, where does my help come from? And then the psalmist answers, your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, do you remember? The blessing of Abraham is the blessing of salvation. And then Jonah 2.9 says, and salvation belongs to the Lord. That's why the psalmist says, lift up your eyes to the, hel- to the hills. From where does my help come from? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The law was given that you might butt up against it. It might reveal and expose sin. And you'd go, I am so dark. And then you'd go, I can't fix myself. I need outside help. Now, human nature is to go, I don't need outside nothing, right? Like, I don't want outside nothing. But you don't even believe that. And here's how I know. Because when you need to get in shape, you hire a personal trainer, right? When your life stinks, you hire a life coach. You're going, I need somebody out there to actually help me. Or you get a DVD program or a self-help book. Now, here's the challenges with those is that you go to those and all of them would say, we're trying to get you to a point where you help yourself and you can do it. But what if the issue's so deep that you can never help yourself? Like, what if the call which the call of the law is perfection. What if the call is be an NBA basketball player? Now, outside of me, there's nobody in this room who could be an an NBA basketball player. (laughs) Be an NBA basketball player. I'll give you a coach to help you be an NBA basketball player. And if you're honest, you're going to go, you need to give me a lot more than a coach. (laughs) Like, you need to give me six more inches and a much higher vertical and a gene transplant that actually makes me athletic because I'm currently not athletic. And here's what the law did. The law made them exposed to such an issue that they failed, that they failed, that it got so dark that they went, there's a fundamental problem because every time we try to obey this same law, we can't do it. And that's when the scriptures come on the scene and go, that's why a new covenant needs to be made with you. Not one in which you're trying to perform and perform and perform, but one that's based upon the promise, which in fact is the one that was made a whole long time ago to Abraham. Before Moses ever got this law, there was a promise made to Abraham that in fact said through him, based upon what God has done, not based upon what you have done, salvation, the blessing would come to the world. And here's what the new covenant said. I will t- the new covenant said this. The law has exposed that your issue is much deeper than mere performance. It's a heart issue. So what has to happen now, this is the new covenant. God says, I, God says this, 
He doesn't say you change your heart. He says, I will take out of you your heart of stone that leads to deafness and darkness and sin. Your heart's the issue. That's why you're not living it. I will take out of you a heart of stone and put into you a heart of flesh, one that actually beats for me. And I will write the law on your heart. It's a law that's defined by love of God and love of your neighbor. I will write that on your heart that now and then I will seal it with the Holy Spirit. I will put God in you that if you walk in step with the Spirit, if you walk in him, which you'll see in a minute, leads you into Christ, you will bear much fruit. The law was given to reveal our need for grace, for outside help. You know, a lot of our world and our world system, self-help books to other religions, are all based upon this performance treadmill, what you must do. One of the things that is, is a great example of this is karma, because karma is like the ultimate what goes around comes around type of a thing. You know, in karma on some level, just so you know, is true. I mean, the Bible says you will reap what you sow, but it isn't the fundamental baseline foundation of the Christian system of belief. The Christian system of belief is based upon grace, outside help, where every other system is based upon a what goes around comes around mentality, a performance treadmill. All of it, from self-help books to other religions to all of that. Now, imagine for a minute if karma was the defining factor that when you stand in, in the end, you're judged based upon karma. Is your good things bigger than your bad things? Like, how do, how do I ever know? How do I ever know? And, and, and what does that lead me to? I don't want to live up to that. And there's actually um, a pretty famous guy that doesn't want to either. His name's Bono. And Bono... If you don't know, he's the lead singer of U2. He's really good. You should listen to him sometime if you never have. Bono was interviewed just a few years ago, and the guy began to ask him about his faith, and Bono said this, I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. Hear what he says. I would be in big trouble if karma was my final judge. He then goes on to say, I'd be in deep stuff. And then he says this, it doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I love that. What you think? He says, listen, if karma's my final judge, I'm in deep trouble. And that doesn't excuse my mistakes, but here's what I can tell you. I'm holding out for grace. Somebody else has got to do this because I've come up on the performance treadmill and I've failed and I've failed and I've failed again. You know what he's saying? He's quoting in some way in a modern version, Psalm 121. Lift up your eyes to the, to the hills. Where does my help come from? If the help, it turns on and goes, it's up to you, buddy. It's karma. What goes around comes around. He's going, no way. I'm in huge trouble. I lift up my eyes to the hills and I say, where does my help come from? And the Bible resoundingly says, your help comes from the Lord who's the maker in, of heaven and of earth. Now, the question in this, Paul begins to go, is to say, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Is it contrary? Is it the opposite? He says, no, it's not contrary. It's complementary. It was meant to reveal your need for this. The same way is an x-ray opposed to healing? No. But is it the means to healing? No. An x-ray is not the means to healing. 
it reveals your need for healing. So the law is not opposed to the promise. It works in conjunction with it. And in fact, the law, this passage tells us, if you look down in verse 24, was given as a guardian. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, that we might receive the blessing of salvation, that we might be made right. The law was not only a revealer, it did not only educate us for sin, but it was meant to take us by the hand and lead us somewhere. Where does that text say it was meant to lead us? To Christ, to faith in Christ. Verse 19 is the same thing. The law was added because of transgression until, that word until in verse 19 is key, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Who's the promise? Jesus. This is why he says to Israel, you're all focused on us as a people, we're the people, we're whatever. He says, but God, when God made the promise, he said, through your seed, singular, not plural, not through this people, through this people would come a one, the seed, who was Jesus. The promise is Jesus, and the law was meant to tutor you, to guard you, to be a schoolmaster, to hold you by the hand and go, you saw your sin, I know you're broken down, and everything's despondent, but come on, come on, and then walk you all the way, not just up to Jesus, but in to Christ. Now, you sit there, and you're up against the performance treadmill. You hit, you fall, you hit, you fall, you hit, you fall. There's a great moment where there's a pastor, a guy named Jack Miller, and he used to have people flood his house or who were kind of the outcasts of society, so the drug addicts, the people that were just a mess with life, you name it, they were coming in, and they'd always be so despondent, and they'd look at me and go, I'm horrible, my life's terrible, I hate myself, whatever, and he would say this, cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> now, you may look at that and go, how is that encouraging? Okay, here's why it was encouraging. Because the cheer up meant there is hope. Lift up your eyes to the hills. There is hope. Where does my help come from? There is help and there is hope. You're worse than you think is actually the means to hope. Because listen to me, wherever you are in your journey, it's only when you come to the, the Bible is here, it's only when you come to the end of yourself and you realize this whole system it's pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This whole system that says, you got yourself into this mess, you have to get yourself out of this mess. That's nonsense. Chip, you're worse than you think. He, here's a, a crazy thing. Take just environmentalism for a moment. I agree with a ton of it. Um, I, have a, I think the Bible has a rich view of creation. I'm not nagging on environmentalism. Here's what I am nagging on, how many of them view the solution. Because here's what they say. We've screwed up the earth. We've done horrible things to the earth. We've done this, that, and the other thing, and we need to change it. Like, at what point do they go, if we got ourselves into this, what makes us think we're going to get ourselves out of it? Like, what makes you think that people are actually going to change? Like, why are they going to change? How are we going to get less consumeristic? How are we going to get less selfish? Is it just by, because it's been tried for ages. Don't do that. Don't do that. It never works. That's why the Bible's saying, cheer up, you're worse than you think. You aren't going to fix it. That's the hope. When you come to that recognition, then you will actually stop looking like this and like Psalm 121. You'll lift up your eyes to the hills and go, it's got to be outside of myself. 
Where does my help come from? And only then can you hear help comes from the Lord. That's the intention of the law. So let me ask you this. Do you view your life as it's all about performance? I've got to do, I've got to do. Or have you ever looked and said, but God's saying it's about the promise. Like not about this treadmill, but about the promise. Something that he has done. Not that I have ultimately done. And here's where we say the promise is of faith. Salvation, the blessing, comes to the world and it comes to you as an individual through faith in the promise. See, faith in Messiah Jesus, the Savior, Jesus Christ. The law was meant to lead you to Jesus. Salvation does not come from performance, but through the promise of God. It's all about what he has done and not about what we have done. It's true outside help. Look at verses 24 and 25. We've read it already. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So here's what he's saying. Now that faith has come, the point has come. Jesus is here. You can't now say, yeah, Jesus is essential, but I also need the law. He's going, once Christ came, take off the bed rails. You don't need the bed rails anymore. It's like a spare tire. You know the old spare tires that weren't a real tire, but they were like these little teeny things, and they served a purpose to get you to the place where you could get a new tire. They served, they were provision to get you there, but they're not meant to be permanent. If they're permanent, you're going to wreck. You don't need the law anymore because you have Jesus, and it's meant to lead you into Christ. Now look at chapter 3, verse 13, because here's the deal. The law brings curse. Performance brings curse. All of this. Here's the gospel, folks, okay? Chapter 3, verse 13. The curse, if you want to live under the law, you will receive a curse. But verse 13, but Christ, whom the law led us to, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You want to experience the blessing of salvation when we say it comes from the Lord? How did it come from the Lord? Because Christ, the curse is real. It doesn't just get washed away. Okay? It gets placed upon Jesus. The curse is placed upon him so that you can be brought near to him. He's cast away from the Father so that you might be brought into the Father. And now Jesus can say this. And this is what faith looks like. He says, I am the vine. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's performance. I'm away from Christ. I'm trying to do it myself. It's self-righteousness. It's self-help. And I'm trying to do it, and I fall. The cart get up, gets upturned. I try to do it, it fail. Try to do it, and I fail. And I'm like, what is going on? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does a life in the promise, by faith in the promise of Jesus, look like? Remain in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit in Christ. The law was meant to bring you to Jesus, to get into him, and then live a life in him. Now, 
Let me pause for a moment because there's tendencies here to go, well, that means, are you saying that life's a life of not doing? No, it's not a life of not doing. What it means is that in your doing, you're doing it in faith. So all of your doing drives you into Jesus. I can only be helped by him. I can only be saved by him. If you're in this room and you're going, oh, this is a message for non-Christians, hogwash, you're wrong, okay? That's wrong. You Christians that are in here and living on a performance treadmill is the very thing Paul's speaking to, is that you living in a performance treadmill will lead you to a cursing and it will ultimately lead to division in the body because it will lead you to be either have a superiority complex because I'm doing these things and you aren't, or an inferiority complex, I can't do these things, and inferior people don't establish good community. They're not easy to be in relationship with. And that is why he says faith is the only unifier. This whole passage comes to a climax for a divided church, Jews here, Gentiles here, and he says this, in Jesus, you're missing the whole point. If you believe what the purpose of the law was, you wouldn't divide, you'd be in Christ, and this is what he says, and in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, verse 28. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's go backwards. The Jews sat there and went, we're great. We're Abraham's children. And he says, if you're in Christ, he's the seed. You're all, no matter who you are, male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, if you're in Jesus, you're Abraham's offspring. Therefore, one in Christ. One, faith is the great uniter in Jesus. As we end right now, hear this, okay? Because right now there's, there's a line dividing, saying, are you running on the treadmill of performance or are you living by faith in the promise? Let me remind you, just in recap, here we go. What does the law bring about? The law means you have to work. It's works, which is performance, which leads to self-help. I got to help myself, which leads to self-righteousness, which leads to pride and superiority or despondency and defeat because you're not living up to even your own standards, let alone outside ones, which leads to division. Pride and arrogance, superiority or despondency and defeat leads to division, which shows the reality. You want to live under the law? Live under the curse. But the promise based upon what Jesus has done. What does it bring? Trust and belief. Promise. It's from him. Dependence. That you are depending upon something outside of yourself, which means my righteousness comes from Christ, not from myself, which leads to humility. How would I ever look down upon anybody else? We're in Christ. My only righteousness is found in him, which brings about unity, which is where we experience blessing and therefore true righteousness so hear this here's my question of are you in christ and let me say this two ways one is you may hear this and go i feel like i've never heard this before and if you're in here i don't care if you've heard it before or you've not if you feel like you are exhausted from the treadmill of performance hear jesus's words because he himself said come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The only reason he can give us rest is because he became restless on the cross, because he became a curse for us on our behalf. 
If you're in this room and you feel that weary and heavy laden, whether you're a Christian or you would say you're not, the answer is the same. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus in the midst of, and you will find rest. Let's pray. Father, we pray um, right now that the message of your gospel, of this promise, would not only be heard by us, but God, it would stay on us. It would stay in us, that God, we would see the hope as we lift our eyes up to the hills and say, where does our help come from? That we would hear you saying, it comes from the Lord. Jesus, who's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is Savior of all. God, we pray right now for, I pray specifically for those who are in this room, Christian or non-Christian, that just are exhausted, exhausted, that feel um, the pressure and the anguish of performance, that have never experienced the blessing and tasted and seen that you are good, um, have never heard the, the song of the gospel. Let them hear it now. God, let them hear this reality and experience all the blessing, all the delight, and all of the joy of living in the promise and walking away from performance. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys doing okay? Yeah?